0: The next guest on Purpose Driven Law is best described as a public servant, someone who is really truly an advocate for the voiceless. The first time I heard Julia speak was back in 2020. She really knows how to captivate her audience. Before joining the trial team at Levin Papantonio Rafferty, Julia was a professor at Stetton University College of Law and Director of Trial Programs. Miss Metz was responsible for managing, coaching, and training the members of Stetson's nationally recognized trial team. She also taught evidence and trial advocacy. Miss Metz began her career as an Assistant State Attorney with the State Attorney's Office in the Fifth Judicial Circuit. During the first 14 years of her career, Professor Metz actively tried misdemeanor, felony, and career criminal cases. It was during this decade of trial practice that Professor Metz was able to use the skills she learned as a student at Stetson Law to successfully try a large number of cases. Julia now works at the Levin-Papantonio-Rafferty trial team and focuses on mass tort cases. Julia, welcome to Purpose Driven Law.
1: Hey, so thanks for having me today. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. So um, you and I were having a really juicy conversation before I hit the record button. So I really want to hop back to that. And just to bring the audience with to catch them up to speed with where we are. Obviously, the uh, I, I think the education and the knowledge in society as a whole towards the LGBTQ community um, is very much in the gray. And especially with me being a Christian and the Christian community, we were talking about how much more people just need to talk about it and have the conversation and creating that bridge of um, being collaborative of understanding who you know, we are both as people, what our intentions are, and just making that conversation open and realizing that we're all on the same team. And it's not like team A, team B. Um, And so with that being said, Julia, why don't you continue um, your input on that stuff?
1: So for sure. So, but quick update real quick um, on the, the bio material, right? So I'm now with MTMP so mass torts made perfect and trial school. So while um, I was with okay. no, yeah, no worries. While I was with Levin, um, I had the privilege of uh, being able to care for some new kids in my life mm-hmm. and needed to step out of the courtroom for a little while and take on roles and responsibilities that allowed me to be more present, uh, for, for the kids that were in my life. Right. So that has been a huge transition for me, that identity of being a trial lawyer, Yeah, Um, not being my primary identity, but it it kind of segues perfectly into your question. This time out of the courtroom has led me to start thinking about ways that we can educate and inform, you know, the everyday juries that aren't in boxes, but are in our lives. Right. Mm -hmm. It's our friends and uh, people who want to find common understanding, but aren't finding it. Uh, And, you know, for me. In my community, which is, uh, I think it's the human community, right? So I, I present and identify the way that I do for folks that are listening to this and not watching this. Um, I am uh, in a, a button down and a blazer and I have a really short haircut. And, and this is the way that I have identified now for probably the last four to five years. Um, prior to that, I, I didn't right? Um, my hair was longer. If I was litigating a case, I was in a skirt suit and all of the, the typical things that we were supposed to do in order to present in, in that manner. But, um, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right that there's space for us to start having this conversation yeah. about how we come together. And then in that, you know, the first step is recognizing that there are things that that are just hard and confusing. Mm. So for me mm-hmm. as, as a gay woman, it, I didn't understand trans people mm-hmm. I didn't until I had, and this is where I go back to, to purpose until I had a human being in my life who mattered to me, who was trans. And, and I said, Hey, I have judged you. Mm-hmm. I have judged people in your community. I was in this idea, this mindset of, I had to pick a team. The heteros have to pick a team. You need to pick like, You don't get to change the team. And I was in that that very limited thinking, you know, of I'm going to be who I am within the, the constructs of this system. But it wasn't until there was a human being that I loved and cared about, who was transitioning, who had the courage to have that conversation with me, that that really opened my eyes to the fact that loving someone wholeheartedly means trying to understand where they're coming from and not just tolerating their existence. And for so long in our faiths, right. So I I grew up um, in in faith. It was, Hey, Julia, we love you, but there are things about you that we don't accept. Right. And and I refuse to be in spaces anymore where I'm tolerated. If you don't want to celebrate me, then you don't get this gift. Right. And I'm sorry for you. Your life will be less for it. But there are lots of people who want the gift. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think we have to uh, approach that. The same way, though, is there, on the flip side to that, is is going to people who have been historically uncomfortable with this topic and saying, hey, what is it that you're most uncomfortable with? Right? Is it the way that I identify? Is it that it? scares you because it's, it's something that you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Is it a fear? Are you afraid if we go down this path that now we go down the inevitable path of, you know, anyone can sleep with anyone regardless of age, right? So like we've taken this, the the church sometimes takes it from, Mm -hmm. if we agree with, with this lifestyle, then, then we agree with hurting children, which is not synonymous and it's not the same, right? But really, having conversations—I mean, I think—with people about what their underlying fear is,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that we can reach a, a common ground.
0: Yeah, man, underlying fear—like fear—if you really deconstruct that word, it like anxiety. Anxiety—the definition of anxiety—is just the fear of the future, right? It's something taking apart, and just exactly that—we don't understand it. And so really breaking that fear between, you know, I'll just use myself for an example, because that's the best person that I can use. I didn't grow up in a home or a church or a school that talked about these things. And so when I entered into my first year of university, a lot of my girlfriends that I hung out with, were by and doing that you know, and just like they're very liberal. and um, you know, it really opened up a door to me to being like, oh, this is how a lot of the world operates because I think, you know, so many people were used to being stuck and put in a box and being told how to live and what to live and what to believe. And even as a, you know, a Christian and stepping into my own faith, like, I think that I can really um, define what my faith is by it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And none of us have, well, not a lot, (laughs) not most of us have died and have seen the afterlife and can come back and be like, I know this for a fact, like we all live our lives by what our faith is. And what speaks to us and what is speaking true, right? And even if you look at, you know, the life of Christ, he just came to this earth to love people. He didn't judge. And our our job isn't to judge people. We are here to just love people. And I think that that's the common ground in a lot of different religions and a lot of different faiths and a lot of different backgrounds is we all sing that song, of all right I just want to love and to serve people and it's when you bring in the judgment of I'm right and you're wrong and the way that you do things isn't right but the way that I do things is right like nobody knows (laughs) nobody knows how to live a perfect life right and I think just like breaking down those fears and those barriers of you know just bringing in the respect aspect of it. I think that we can make a lot of change of just acceptance and respect and removing the
1: ego out of it. If that makes sense. Um, yeah. I think it makes perfect sense, you know, and, and then we get a, a historical perspective of the Western, like so evangelical Christianity mm-hmm. is, isn't the oldest. Right. And and so who are we to say that, that Western evangelical Christianity is the absolute right way to see something. And the only way to to see something. Yeah, totally. And if we're open-minded about it, we can step back into it and, and then begin to deconstruct, um, the, the things that are holding us back, which are these ideas of feminine and masculine, right? So I was at a conference recently and we were talking about women's empowerment, but we were defining it in terms of the negative of not being masculine. And I'm like, well, did, did men really ask for the burden of, of what they're having to navigate and, and to go through? Did men ask for you know, being chastised for not wanting to hug their children? Did, did they ask for these things? Because if we go back and we look at the history of civilization and the way that people interact um, in tribal manners and as like really large family units, m- men were emotional and, and attached to, to families, mm-hmm. right? So, so what is this Western construct of masculine and feminine and do we really need to be tied to all of that anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, can we embrace the, this this concept that, that we are more equal
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: in lots of ways? Biologically, there are major differences like in, in um, neuroscience, there, there are lots of differences, right? Yeah. But there are also some things and behaviors that we do based on the way that our culture and society has told us that we need to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I can say that unequivocally because as a woman who grew up with a, like a masculine energy, the yeah. way that people treated me was very different than the way that people treated women around me. What did that look like for you? Can you go more in depth and share? Sure. Right. So if like growing up, I mean, like I, I was a tomboy, Yeah. which meant that when I was too, <laughs> <laughs> right. That I got to go into spaces that that the girly girls didn't get to go into.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I got to be in the room with men having conversations about business and what they were doing and what was next that the girls didn't get to go into because they were out cooking dinner and making the meals and making sure that everything was ready.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? I was. So when I grew up thinking in terms of business and in terms of building things, in terms of protecting and providing, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it was because that's what I was exposed to, Mm. right? How many of the other little girls would have also been interested in those things if they would have been exposed to that?
2: Yeah.
1: Right, but because I was very just, listen, I knew I didn't fit in the box. And, and the only way for me to survive was to make my own box. So were there, I mean, there were comments from, you know, family members and things like that, telling my father that, you know, that they needed to get a handle on me. Um, they needed to, to tell me what to wear, and what to do that, you know, did they think it was normal that I acted the way that I acted? Um, and so I, I was fortunate in, in the sense that my father is a non-conforming human. In the way that he's just going to tell society to kiss his ass, um, that, that he let me be who I was. Yeah. So that was good. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, this idea of of feminine and masculine, like we are definitely different in a lot of ways, men -hmm. and women, but, but are behaviors that we have that are a societal construct that that we don't have to be bound to anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. If we have the courage to decide that, you know what, I want to live my life with intent and purpose. And this is my intent and purpose, regardless of the system and the construct.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so when you said, and we're winding a little bit, grew up in faith, what what was your childhood like in the faith perspective? Can you share with us?
1: Yeah, it was so it was interesting. My um mother's family is Pentecostal. Okay. And my father's family is Mormon. Oh. Uh, Yeah, so there was, um, but my father's atheist. Interesting. So there was this battle between like the grandmothers about which way we were going to be raised. Um, We attended uh, church without my father. So my my father wouldn't go, my mom would go and it would be a Pentecostal church. But when we were with my father's parents, um, then we would talk about the Mormon faith and, and things like that my father's view on the whole thing um, was that faith is for people who don't have confidence in themselves and, and they need to believe in something bigger than themselves. And he's like, you need to believe in yourself and you're enough
2: mm-hmm.
1: God. Right. And, and I am much more spiritual than that. Like I, I, I think, um, you know, throughout life has taught me different, different things, but um, mm-hmm. growing up in that kind of complex environment where you know that there's that there's religion, you know that there's Christianity and you know that there's different ideas behind it. So I was never bought into one has to be right and one has to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And then I went to college at Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi, which is a, a Southern Baptist school. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I had a lot of friends who were Southern Baptist growing up. Um, so also very much like in, in that culture as well. And, and I think there's something to be said about you know, the, the structure of it, right? Mm-hmm. When you, and, and I, this is what happens. And, and I think if you look at society right now, when you don't feel like you belong anywhere and mm-hmm. you are constantly trying to fit in somewhere mm-hmm. and you have organizations like churches that mm-hmm. say, if you follow A, B, C, and D, if you believe A, B, C, and D, If you show up to Wednesday night worship and if you show up to traditional service and contemporary service, and if you do Bible studies, and if you do children's church, you'll be accepted. Right. And and so we have a whole lot of people in in our society who don't feel like they belong and are constantly trying to fit in and they find themselves in organizations. Some are religious, some are not Mm -hmm. right. But they're, they're trying to fit in because they don't have the courage yet Mm -hmm. know that, um, the fitting in requires the compromising of, of their, of their integrity, right. Because they don't actually belong in that, in that space. So that's very much like what that period of my life felt like. It was like, do I fit in with the Pentecostal group? Do I fit in with the Mormon group? Do I fit in with the Southern Baptist group? But I knew that nowhere in there did I feel like I belonged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, which is why faith to me, is something so much more than a, a church on the corner or an individual pastor that becomes a, a demigod, right? Mm-hmm. That we kind of quasi-worship whenever mm-hmm. the book tells us that that's, that's not the way we should be doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that makes, yeah. I, I relate with you a lot with that, which is why I said before, like, I think stepping into a mature faith for me really looks like removing that, religion hierarchy bucket and understanding that it's a relationship and that's you know with you that you have with your higher power or with your god or with whatever you identify as right um it it's just it's it really is understanding that there's something greater than ourselves and what is the purpose of life if there isn't something if there isn't a higher power right um you know, you you said that life has taught you different things, which made you realize that there was something greater than ourselves. Um, can we can we talk about that?
2: Sure. So what when when was that moment in your life for you that you understood that? Mm. We're going deep. <laughs> Thank you.
1: You know, it's, it's not, um, when my, when my first partner uh, died from suicide, Mm. I think that because she was, like, I think I believed in Christianity because I saw faith walking in, in her. Wow. So when we talk about someone who lives and practices their faith, right? Like you don't have to tell someone you're a Christian mm-hmm. when you live it and you walk it and you breathe it, right? And so Julie, for me, lived it and walked it and breathed it. She was the person who, um, you know, for spectacularly brilliant as she was, volunteered to work with the kids in the bottom quartile even though they offered her AP classes because the kids in the bottom needed her the most, right? She was the person who would constantly fight for those who were underrepresented and marginalized in, in public schools and, and in communities because she she knew what it felt like to not be advocated for.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so, grew up in Mississippi and is quintessential, um, you know, Mississippi Southern Baptist you know, choir girl, right. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful, blonde, um, checks all the boxes should, should probably be married to a, a pastor, but by that point, but then she's in a relationship with me secretly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so I think after her suicide, I spent a very, very long time being angry with God, right? Mm-hmm. Like there can't be like, like God cannot be who they say he is because how on earth could he let the best among us suffer?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So I was in my early thirties when, when that happened and I felt like that was the first like big blow to my life. Um, And it made me question lots and lots of things. Um, And then I had to take a deep dive into myself because to me, I thought like, okay, if I, love her enough. If I teach her to love herself, if I teach her confidence, if I teach her how to navigate what was in reality a a very, very deep depression, she'll be okay. So her death for me marked number one, a failure of of myself, because I felt like this is the first person I I didn't save. And number two, it marked a deep shakening and what um and what it meant to be a Christian and and who God really was. Uh, So so that was my first big like because I'm like, if, if I can't fix this and I, like, there has to be something more to this. There has to be something bigger than, than what they're telling us, than, than what I'm thinking. Um, and, and so for the, like several years after that was just like a really deep dive into what I thought and how I felt, um, about religion and, and myself and, um, being, you know, queer or gay or in this community in this society. Right. Um, So,
0: wow. Thank you for sharing that and your vulnerability with that. That was, that was great. Um, yeah, thank you.
2: How do you think the churches need to change? You know, I don't, because there is a huge problem with,
0: the way that humans are running this hierarchy.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, that's such a loaded, it's such a loaded question for me. So on a, on a personal level, I think that. And and when I say churches, you know, I'm, I'm churches in, in, in our country um, have, Mm -hmm. have become really, really motivated by money and motivated by attention. Mm So I, I think for me, step one in how churches behave is you know, consideration of, of pulling pulling tax steps, right? If If they're going to harbor sex offenders and predators, um, then then I think that's that's step one, right? So I don't know that but that doesn't really answer your question and, and I say that because, the, the churches, the entities, have very largely become businesses in my mind. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not interested in fighting for the soul of a business. I am more interested in reducing the suffering and building connection for the human beings that walk the halls and sit in the pews, the church, the entity, the business. Listen, I, The fact that we have institution after institution after institution that has protected pastors and people who have molested children on record, they've documented it and they hit it, tells me all I need to know about the business of the church. Hmm. I am more concerned with like you and I having conversations like this and then us having the courage to have conversations with our friends, Hmm. right? And, And that's the battle for the heart and soul right? I, I'm not interested in the system that created the business that is the church. I am interested in the heart and soul, which is the individual that's sitting in the pew. How do I have a conversation with them that, that reduces their fear and also takes them out of their suffering, right? Because if they're living in fear that this particular community is coming for them, that, that their salvation and eternity is at stake, then they're also suffering needlessly because they need not live like that, right? To, to lead whole and, and satisfying lives. Like, you know, um, Father Rohr, who has done a, a number of remarkable books, and uh, Adam Hamilton uh, with, with the, the Methodist Church, I, I think has some of the, the best content on, you know, where we go in, in the faith um, about, you know, having these conversations and being more... Um, intellectual, but also understanding about this, taking us out of the the fear and the shame and the guilt, right? So like if you grew up in a church, you know how to shame yourself like nobody's business, right? But what do we now know based on all the research is that like shame is not getting us anywhere, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm not interested in looking at the people who are currently in those institutions and feel like they're safe there. I don't want to shame them for being there because what they're looking for is a sense of community.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But I do want to connect with their heart and my heart to say, Hey, right. What about me scares you? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: What about my friend next to me who has blue hair and has they, them pronouns or just has they, them pronouns. What about that person scares you? Right. And then, so let's talk about it. So for, you know, conversations with, with, with my grandmother at, at one point was the uh, agree to disagree about my salvation. Right. And, and so when we had the conversation, it became clear to me, she wasn't upset that I was gay. Right. She wanted me to spend eternity with her. Like that's like, fuck, like, I, I love you for being worried about my salvation. Like, like, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I don't think this is where my maker sending me. Right. But do I love you for being worried about the fact that we might not spend eternity together, mm-hmm. but you know what? Let's break bread together right now because like we just connected. We just had a moment of, un- so instead of being mad at, at people in, in my family or people who don't understand I, I try to find common ground with them on, you know, what is it that, that you're actually afraid of, right? Mm-hmm. What, what is it that you actually don't want? And, and if it's that you're concerned about my eternity, you know what? I love you for being worried about me. Like, let me hug you for loving me so much that you want to spend eternity with me. Right? And then that's step one. And then step two is maybe we take a deep dive into the book, not just little quotes, but the book in context, right? And let's walk through some of those clobber clauses and what they actually mean, you know? But step one is, is just finding a connection with the heart and soul of another human being. So again, I don't, I don't know that we change the church because the, the church is the way that I see it right now, business, but we never give up on the hearts and the souls that occupy pews, right? Like, like that's, that's what I mean by, by having the courage to reduce suffering. To, to reduce suffering and, and the courage to really want to build human connection. I don't think as a country, we are that far off from, from, from folks. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we're as divided as as the news tells us we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I have to totally agree with you on that statement. 100%. And well, as you know, the media, its job is just to create fear and clickbait. So how can we create this huge division, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, man, Julia, this podcast is on fire. You have so many golden nuggets in everything that you've said. And I'm just so grateful that we are able to have this conversation. Um, So now let's shift this conversation to purpose because purpose-driven law. What would you say, what does living
2: on purpose look like to you?
1: So that's a, um, I think it changes with the seasons in your life, right? So for me, what it looks like in this season of my life. So living on purpose for me right now is living every single day to reduce suffering in myself in other people um, and, and to live with integrity and courage. Right. And, and so Where this gets really difficult is that, you know, people assume sometimes they're like, all right, if the goal is to reduce suffering, then you're self-sacrificing or you're overextending. And it's really not that at all. So like my, my primary function is to reduce suffering in myself. So where are the places in my life that I am increasing my own anxiety? right? And if that's, um, you know, where are the places in my life that I'm taking on more than I should? Where are the places in my life where I'm living in fear because I don't have the courage to speak up and really ask someone what they think? Where are the places in my life where I'm falling into old patterns because I had a really, really toxic um, and at times look wildly abusive childhood, right? Um, So so that's number one. And then the second part for me is to reduce suffering in, in the people around me my purpose used to be to love. And, and what I found was that the way that I approached love was very egocentric in that I was leaving people feeling loved, but loved by me. Right. And I'm like, that's not good enough. Like, I don't, how do I help folks learn to love themselves the way that I love me? Like I don't, listen. I wake up like lots of days. Um, and, and I may be in a pure panic about the, the, the state of politics in Florida, but like, damn, I love me. Like, <laughs> like I, I'm happy to see me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I may wake up in, you know, in a panic attack because I, I had a nightmare about something that happened in my childhood but By the moment I catch myself in the mirror, I'm like, oh, it's us today, kid. We got this. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to love people in that they feel the need to be connected to me, to feel loved. I want to reduce their suffering Right, or to teach them to reduce their suffering so that they learn to love themselves in that way. Right? Like getting back to the base of what makes us really good for one another, and that's that we do the work to heal us so that we just exude better for those around us. Um, so it, it's been the last you know, year and a half, two years that I, I've switched up my purpose to, to reduce suffering because I felt the love was very egocentric. Um And then, you know, courage and and integrity for me are, are key. It's, it's having uncomfortable conversations with people, even when I don't want to, it's, um, living in alignment with my values, right? So anytime that I catch myself, um, just flustered or procrastinating or putting things off. I will write to myself, you know, like, like Julia, you are avoiding X because you have a fear that so-and-so is not going to accept you or receive you or do whatever, live with your integrity, right? You say that you are a person who has the courage to take bold action, take the bold action, do the thing. But I will eat myself up internally. Like, so if I do this podcast and I'm talking to you and I'm like, I live with courage and I live with integrity And then I go in my room and I hide and I don't do the things that I said that I was going to do. I am not in alignment with my values. Right. So I I think one of the things about living your purpose and living on purpose is what are your values? Right. And they're typically three. And then ask yourself with the things that you do in a day. Does this line up with my values? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so in the way that I interact with my kids and the people that I love. Right. So, I mean, I was rude to my partner earlier this morning and I had to send a text message like, hey, I was an ass and I'm really sorry. That was uncalled for. Right? Like I tried to cross examine you. I get we're both lawyers, but still that was stupid. I'm sorry, you know, um, because I want to be a person who has the courage to admit when I've made mistakes. I want to be a person who lives like that. Uh, and, and so, you know, it helps me get past the moments where my pride and my ego would keep me stuck.
2: I love that. I love that
0: so much. Um, how, cause this is something that I've really been extremely focused over the last, let's say eight months. I got married in November last year. And, you know, when you get married, you just have like this real conversation with yourself. It's like, holy crap, I'm entering a new phase in my life, a new chapter. It's like, I am now somebody's partner. I can't be self-centered anymore. And it just really put me on a different path of living to living intentionally, because if I want to be a person that is... um. If I want to be a partner or if I want to be a a wife that, you know, because I want to show up better and better every single day for my husband or for my partner because they deserve that. And now how do I start doing that? And I love that you said living and choosing what your core values are, because over these last eight months, I've been looking and being like, all right, it's cool to have all of these goals, goals, you sometimes hit them (laughs) or not, right? But what are my core values, reflecting on what they are, and how are you living up to those core values? How are they being implemented? How are you showing up for them? Because that builds character, and that evolves you into you know, that next level or that person that you really want to be or show up as not just for your partner, but for your community, for your mission, for what you, for the legacy that you want to leave behind. Um, And I love that you said that because, you know, we just finished Q1 and I review everything after Q1 goals, but, you know, I didn't hit all of my goals, but I can really confidently say that I lived up to what my core values were and I was true with myself and I was true with those values. And then reevaluating on what those core values look like for the next quarter or the next chapter that you get yeah. into. Right. And so um so you so your core values, as you said, were courage and living intentionally and reducing suffering would you say that that's what your core values are or would you almost break them down into like the you know the original tony robin core six values of you know um having a certainty and uncertainty and contribution and growth and uh do you, have you heard of those six values before
1: yeah. yeah it, and, you know, I think that depends on, on the individual, right? So for me, um, I read a, a ton of philosophy. So I'm a huge fan of, uh, stoic philosophy of Marcus Aurelius. Um, I am in a stoic journal every single day, multiple times a day. Uh, Ryan holiday has done great work on this.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: so, uh, I, I say that to preface, like, you know, there's this idea of like, we should be working towards the common good. Right. So I don't need to have the common good as a core value because like it is innate in me. Like, I feel that like, if, if I have to leave the world better than I found it. Mm. Right. So I don't, I don't need to write that down as my core value right now because I live it almost like a habit. Right. I, I think our core values can change sometimes depending on like, is it a habit now? Right? So, you know, earlier on in life, when I was um, an egotistical asshole, if, if I can just say that, quite frankly, I mean, I, I was, I, 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 I was, if I could step on you to get what I wanted, I would have stepped on you, crushed you and looked back and laughed at you for losing. Mm. That's, that's how ego driven I was. And to, and, and, and to then learn, like, what it is to love, mm-hmm. right? Like just for the sake of unconditional love and how that, that changes us. So there was a time where doing things for the common good, just to do good would have needed to have been a, a core value of mine so that I can make it a habit and make it innate and, and part of my identity. Mm-hmm. But once that's part of my identity, then I need to switch to something else, mm-hmm. right? Because the learning never stops. The growing never stops. And this is you know, one of the things I think with, with people is that they want to get to this place where life is easy now, right. Or I'm coasting and I'm like, no, What, what would I ever do if it were just like predictable and easy and coasting? Like I constantly want to learn and feel like stimulated and intellectually challenged and thinking about things in a new way. So if, if I'm going throughout my, my daily life and I'm like, you know what, like, damn, like reducing suffering is second nature to me now. Right. I see it. I pop, like I I can do these things I move through. All right. What is something that I can do that helps the common good? And that also helps me grow. Maybe that needs to be a core value going into this next year. Mm -hmm. I think we get to that place by being reflective. Um, I am like, I journal a lot. It, It has been a real saving grace for me. And, and my journals are, are really honest about what I do and, and, and who I am mentally. And then also externally, right? So I, I know that I have the ability to present well, to speak well and things like that. Um, so I temper myself constantly with like, hey, you did this today or you like, you need to keep this in check, right? Like, it's not about your ego. It's not about X. Like um, it, it is about doing good for for people and, and things like that. Or you know what, um, I was helping my son today and I was rude to him. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna apologize and I'm gonna give him permission to tell me how I made him feel and I'm going to own that discomfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I will write that out of my journal and then I will go and do it. Um, so I, I, my, my core values have changed over the years as as I think the needs of my life and those moments have changed and as, as things have become second nature.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah.
0: Always living a life in a mirror. I think that's so important. You're talking about
1: the book. uh,
0: Courage is calling by Brian holiday, right?
1: So he's got an entire series. So um, courage is calling discipline is destiny. um, Ego is the enemy. Um, uh, There's another one on and I'm trying to, it's not on my bookshelf. It's in my room. He does the the daily stoic journal. Yeah. And. um, Silence is the key. I want to say is the other one. So because I just bought the four book series for for my son.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, I have uh I have Courage's Calling is going to be in, it's in the queue. It's in the queue. Yeah. I have I have a lot of books in the queue, but that's definitely in the next in the near future, let's just say. Um so if you could if you could best give advice to somebody who is looking to figure out what their, what their purpose is or what their calling
2: is, like, what would be three pieces of advice that you would leave, um, that you would leave them with?
1: So if they're they're trying to figure out like what, what their purpose and, and, and their calling is. Yeah. So
0: like attorneys in this space, especially when they first start their careers, I think a lot of them are hungry to know you know, what the heck am I here for? Like, what kind of impact, what kind of legacy do I want to live? And we went through your bio at the beginning, like you have an amazing story of what you were have been able to accomplish. And, you know, the legacy that you are really leaving in this space, you've definitely left an imprint and making your mark. What pieces of advice can you encourage other new attorneys or even just attorneys in general in this space that are just looking for that, that calling, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So look, my my first piece of advice is going to sound, um, odd, but it's, uh, get fit. You can't know what's in your heart and in your mind until, until your body is healthy and your mind is clear.
2: Hmm. I don't think
1: you have any idea of what makes you happy when you are uber eating, you know, fried chicken to the office because you're pulling another all nighter and, and you haven't slept in three days and you're popping caffeine like it's or whatever else. Um, number one, if, if you want to find your purpose and you want to find your calling, I think you've got to be in a clear enough mind and body to receive the message. Mm. Um, so that that to me is step one, and it starts really small. So I'm I mean, listen. I have scoliosis. Um, I have a spine that looks like a seventy or eighty year old. Really, um, I, I'm in a pretty constant amount of pain. Um, so there are no excuses uh, for not being active, right? So I cycle because I can't run anymore. Um, I used to love to box and do things like that, but it it makes me numb in the back to so the jarring and the motion like that. So guess what? I do yoga and I um, do mobility and, and strength training and, and things like that. You can find a way to move your body and, and the difference that it will make in in your clarity is, is phenomenal. And if you tell me that you don't have time, then, then I, cool. Right. But what it really means is that you're unwilling. So again, be honest with yourself. Right. So it, so step one is I is like get healthy mentally and physically. Step two is to be honest with yourself. Be honest about the bullshit lies that you tell yourself, right? So there were times in my career when I worked all night long. My children slept on cots in my office while I was prepping trials. And I told myself that it was because I had to prove that I was good enough. I had to prove that I was better than them. Listen, mm-hmm. I worked in a phenomenal environment at that time. They didn't put that expectation on me. My insecurities put that expectation on me. My own personal doubts put that expectation on me because what they thought of me was that I was already amazing, right? That's why they made me a supervisor. That's why they made me one of the youngest supervisors. That's why they gave me the cases that they gave me was because I was already doing the work. My doubts and insecurities put that on me. So get honest about what you're doing to yourself. Is it that your workplace is really super toxic? Or is it that you don't have the courage to tell them about the policies and the systems and, and, and the, the procedures that are, that are impacting you,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? So it, it could be that that the workplace isn't that bad, but you hate it because you don't have the courage to show up for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the courage to show up for yourself and advocate for yourself, how are you ever going to hear your calling and your purpose when it starts speaking to you, right? Because you can't hear it because it already knows you won't fight for it. So get real about fighting for yourself by first being honest with yourself, right? So step one is get physically and mentally healthy, right? Get fit. Step two is be radically honest with yourself about your insecurities and about the lies that you're telling yourself that are holding you back. And then step three, I think, is to get quiet. You start listening to your body and your mind. So for me, it was... When I was advocating for a person who felt like no one else cared about them, my whole body came alive. And I felt like you could have stabbed me with a million knives and I could still advocate. I could be bleeding out and I could still advocate because I had a passion and a power and purpose. You could put a young lawyer in front of me or an older lawyer who was scared and felt like they just couldn't do it. And my whole self would light up with, you know what? Yes, you can. Let me teach you how. Right? So when I got healthy and I owned the bullshit, then I could just listen and feel and be quiet with the moments that spoke the most to me. Mm -hmm. Right? And so now what I know is I can advocate for people wherever I'm standing. I don't have to be in a courtroom anymore, but I got really quiet. To, to sit back and to reflect and, and to think about where does my, where does my mind and my heart and my body feel like it's on fire and doing really good work, right? And so when I have that feeling, I'm like, damn, what am I doing? What's going on? Cool. How do I make this a living?
0: Describe that feeling to me. Like, what do you
1: physically feel in your body? Mm, unstoppable? Yeah. Right. Like, so imagine if it's, it's, if it's a, a sports, you know, situation, it's, it's Tom Brady after being, you know, beat to hell, being down 20 points, fourth quarter, five minutes left. And it's like touchdown pass after touchdown pass after touch. A bomb could go off in the stadium and he could still throw a touchdown pass because he's in flow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And and I, I say flow because there's real science behind the the physiological relationship, you know, with our mind and our body. And when I am in my place, you could do whatever you wanted to do. And you will not, you will not bring me out of it because I know where I am. Right. I know that I'm walking in my purpose and my calling. And that's kind of the place where I came to where it's like, like that's where I know that I'm the gift and you get to decide if you get the blessing. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't care if you take it or you don't take it because I know how powerful it is
0: man, you just have this like contagious confidence in yourself. I absolutely love it. It's just like this light that shines within you. And yeah, you are definitely such a gift to those that you get to be in their lives with. And um, I, yeah, this, this has been just really, really, truly amazing to have some of your time and for you to Talk about and share about all of these things. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for um, your contribution to these kinds of questions. And I personally just am really excited to continue to get to know you and to develop our relationship within the league. Why don't you talk about the league for a really quick second and share with us? I was about to plug them, right? I was like, we got it. We got it. <laughs> we got it. We got it. Yeah. Why don't you talk about the league for a second? um uh, I could, but you're, you're the master with words, so. <laughs> Listen,
1: I, I, I love it, right? And, and I, I think it's the. What um, is the league? For those who don't know, it's, it's an organization of women in, in the legal industry. And it's the first of its kind to bring together all women in the legal industry, right? So attorneys, paralegals, vendors, you know, non-traditional uh, roles in, in the legal community, both plaintiff and defense, Right, like um, there isn't anyone that that we don't want to be engaged and involved. And the idea behind it really is about building connection and community, right? So that women have a place to go to um, advocate for other women, right? So that women attorneys have a place to go to learn about other women in the space and the vendors that they represent or who they are, right? Like lending agents that we need, resources that, that we need, paralegals, Right? but to bring all of us together in a common place. Um, and then also the really cool thing about it is that it's not just about the business. It's about how do we as women in, in this industry and in this society lift one another up, right? And, and all of our differences, um, it's an organization so that you don't have to have splintered off other organizations, right? We want everyone to be included. We want every woman to be represented. And, and to have um, an opportunity to come together and to learn together about the common problems that we're all facing, and ways that we navigate forward. Um, you know, I, I think it's best described as a it's a community of action, right? Like, so we are coming together not to talk about how hard it is, not to talk about how rough it is, not to complain or to whatever. It's this is the problem; these are the solutions. Let's get Yeah, we're building
2: women women. Yeah. By women.
1: yeah. yeah
0: yeah we're building our own table i love that um yeah so i'm really excited to you know like i said before build our relationship further within that community see what things that we can accomplish together um and i do want to be respectful of your time we are just now approaching an hour and this conversation has just been so beautiful um is there anything that you'd like to add
1: before we cut this off um, you know, other than thank you for number one, the, the work that you do, the courage that it takes to try something different, to do something new in this space, um, to just uh, appreciate your vulnerability and talking about your marriage and, and your experiences and your faith um, in, in times anywhere where people would prefer to um, stay in the middle. And, yeah. and not uh, create controversy, you have the courage to, to show up authentically and bravely to create connection for, for folks. Um, and I think that's beautiful. So I just appreciate you having me today.
0: Wow. Thanks, Julia. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, what this evolves into and I have no rule book, so I'm just figuring it out as I go.
2: <laughs> I love that.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, again, thank you for your time. And uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode of Purpose Driven Law. If you loved this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you feel inclined, share it with a friend. It uh, goes a long way with helping the podcast grow and get noticed. So take care. And again, thank you, Julia, for your time. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.